this morning we will be in the Gospel of John, uh, so that's the New Testament. Actually, that would be the back of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, I think if you have one of the Bibles that are in the seat backs in front of you, page 759, we're going to go for that. Um, this morning, before we get started, just want to give you a, a brief introduction. Um, for the next seven weeks, we'll be uh, going through a series called Giving It Up. So um, roughly the next six weeks is uh, the season of Lent. Lent is 40 days. Uh, it's symbolic of the time that Christ was in the wilderness, fasting, praying, and battling the enemy. Lent actually begins on Ash Wednesday. That was just this past Wednesday. And it will culminate on Saturday, the Saturday of, of Easter weekend. And so as we work through the season of Lent, as we draw close to God through fasting and praying, uh, through battling the enemy, uh, we are going to focus on uh, giving up. Now, giving up is a theme of Lent. The idea is that as we give up something, uh, we, f- we, we commit that time to the Lord. So for fasting, we give up some, some fast meat. So they give up meat, uh, some fast chocolate, while others maybe Facebook or or uh, television, or something of that sort. The idea is that while you're fasting, you're giving up something and you're seeking the Lord. And while those things are good things to give up, and they certainly were able to remove those barriers before us, uh, we're going to look at things that Scripture calls us to give up, things that have an eternal significance, if you will. And so as we navigate through the Gospel of John, we're going to see that our identity in Christ calls us to give up things. And so today we're going to begin that seven-week series by looking at giving up expectations. And so we'll be in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now again, remember Lent is this time of deep introspection. It's a taking stock, taking inventory of your Christian life. And so this morning, as we hear what God has to say to us, um, ask yourself if there's expectations, other than what the text is going to tell us, other than what God tells us, uh, do you have expectations that you need to give up to God that are standing in the way of you connecting with a living God? Uh, let's go ahead and um, read our text. If you'd like to read along with me, that'd be fantastic. Um, just don't read louder than me, that would be weird. Uh, chapter 3. Um, Of the Gospel of John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone 
who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time that You've given us. We thank You for this text. Lord, our desire is that uh, Your Holy Spirit would be at work today. Uh, Lord, that You would speak to us through Your Word. Uh, that you would be honored, uh, and that you would receive much glory and praise with our time here today. Use me, Lord, uh, would you, as many men have said in the past, hide me behind the cross. May it be Christ that people see today. Lord, we commit this text and time to you, and ask that your will would be done in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Now this morning, what we're going to see is that when the Holy Spirit breathes life into us, okay, when the Holy Spirit breathes life into us, we're able to see Christ, our lifted up Savior, and enter the kingdom of God. Okay, did you hear that? When the Holy Spirit breathes life into us, we're able to see Christ, our lifted up Savior, and enter the kingdom of God. Let's turn to our text this morning. Well, let, let, let's give a f- couple words about the Gospel of John. Uh, There are four gospel accounts. Three of them are referred to as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're all very similar accounts. John is very unique. Uh, If I'm being honest with you, I I really like uh, the Apostle John. He's just sort of a straight shooter. Tells it like it is. John's very unique. In fact, there are things in the book of John that aren't in the other gospel accounts. In fact, really much of chapters 2 through 4, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, the woman at the well, Jesus' ministry in Samaria. This is unique to the Gospel of John. Um, In fact, it is in the Gospel of John that Jesus explicitly identifies himself with God. In John, uh, John John tells us, or rather Christ says in the book of John, uh, several I am statements that are amazing. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are amazing. Uh, in fact, if you look at all the gospel accounts, say like a three-hour movie, right? What John does is go to that last hour, and then he turns that into a three-hour movie. He really focuses on the ministry of Christ. In the gospel of John, there's no account of the genealogy or birth of Christ. John barely touches on the baptism of Christ. In fact, that's where the book of John begins. Um, So it's a very unique book. Think of it that way. John is looking at the ministry of Christ. And so as as we look at this unique book, we'll see this uh, conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Let's see what the text tells us about Nicodemus. Um, Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Here's what we need to know about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an open man. He comes to God, so he's open. Not only that, but Nicodemus is an able man. The text tells us that uh, he's a part of the Sanhedrin council. Think of the Sanhedrin council as like the Jewish uh, um, um, senate, okay? Um, uh, so he was, he, he's an open man. Um, he comes before Christ at night, but he's also a um, disciplined man. We know he's an able man. He's on the Sanhedrin, but he's a disciplined man. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. You see, his whole life was about obeying the law of God. So he's a very disciplined man. And then we see, we'll see later on in the text that Jesus refers to Nicodemus as a teacher of Israel. So he's a learned man. He's an open man. He's an able man. He's a disciplined man. And he is a learned man. So for all intents and purposes, there was no one who was more legal, legalistic, more moral, more righteous, more upright than this guy. Nicodemus was the guy. And he approaches Jesus at night. And what does the text say that he tells Jesus, or he says to Jesus, rather, uh, Rabbi, we know that you are rabbi. He, he refers to Jesus as teacher. Here is a rabbi himself, okay, the pinnacle of Jewish culture, the a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, a very religious man, and he calls Jesus teacher. This is very interesting. And he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, here's the thing. It's very interesting that Nicodemus comes to God at night. And did you notice he says, we know that you come from God. We know, Rabbi, we know... Latter part of verse 2, we know that you come from God. More than likely, this we is referring to perhaps other members of the Sanhedrin Council or other Pharisees. The Sanhedrin Council not only had religious leaders uh, uh, that were Pharisees, but also Sadducees. So perhaps there was some mix there, maybe even Nicodemus' disciples. So he says, we know. Now he comes at night, um, not, not because these miracles have changed him or he's believed because of these miracles, in fact, if we look at chapter 2, verse 11, we read, This the first signs, rather, this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Chapter 2, verse 23 tells us, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Now, Nicodemus isn't coming to Christ because he believed after seeing these miracles. No, for Nicodemus, it's simply a conversation starter. Not like these other men, not like the disciples, Jesus' first miracle at the wedding at Cana, which is unique to the Gospel of John. But he comes to Jesus simply using Christ's miracles as a conversation starter. And he says to him, he refers to him as teacher, and he says, we know that you are from God. And how does Jesus respond to Nicodemus? Here's the interesting thing. Nicodemus greets Jesus, but in verse 3, we see that Jesus responds to Nicodemus with an answer. That's a little bit odd. If I said hello to you and you came back with an answer, I'd say I, 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 did, I didn't pose a question. Well, in all reality, Nicodemus is posing a question. What Nicodemus is truly saying to Jesus is, Okay, so we know you're from God because the things you're doing are pretty cool. But what's the deal? 
Are you the son? Are, are, you, are you the Messiah? Who, who are you? What's going on? So what Jesus does is he, he doesn't answer Nicodemus' words. He answers Nicodemus' thoughts. Jesus, whenever he has conversations with people, he goes straight to the heart. And so that's what he does. Jesus answers Nicodemus' greeting, and this is what Jesus said. Let's go back to verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And how did Nicodemus respond to this? Verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, this is, what are you talking about, born again? He's thinking, man, my mom nearly died when I was 10 pounds. I'm six foot tall and I'm 220. Born again? Say what? Okay, so imagine that. But imagine that today if you were to just meet someone and have a conversation and you said to them, hey, you need to be born again. They don't even know you, let's just say, to the person next to you on the bus, and you tell them you need to be born again. Yeah, you might get the same look, perhaps, that Nicodemus had on his face. What is this born again all about? You see, right away we need to know that Jesus rejects the process by which Nicodemus seeks to find out who he is. So Nicodemus is seeking to find out who he truly is, and Jesus rejects that right off the bat. He rejects that. And here's what he says. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus, what do you mean be born again? Can I be born again when I'm old? Can, how does that work? Can a man be born when he's old? Verse 4, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that there's a rebirth. There's something that must happen before you enter the kingdom of God. A spiritual rebirth is required for you to enter the kingdom of God. You see, there's a must. The first thing that Jesus tells Nicodemus is that there's a must. And he says, you must be born again. Uh, This translation here says, unless you're born again, which is the same thing as saying you must. If you were to come to my house and knock on the door and I say, unless you give me $5, you can't enter, I'm saying you must. There's no choice there. It's not an option, not a maybe, not if you feel like it. He's saying you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So what is this born again? What is this born again? Well, in the Greek, what born again literally means is to be born from above. Born from above or to be born again. If we go to the first chapter of John, just flip back. John chapter 1, let's look at verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To be born again is to become a child of God. To be born again is to be born of God. Okay? Now, for Nicodemus, um, this, this would have... This should not have been something new to Nicodemus. Now, Old Testament prophetic literature spoke of a spiritual rebirth. In fact, in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says in reference to his people that he'll replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh and he'll put, I will put my spirit in you is what God says. So this should not have been uh, world shattering for Nicodemus. The fact that Christ said you 
You must be born again. What might have been causing trouble for Nicodemus is that Christ says something must happen before you enter it. You see, Christ is telling Nicodemus, the most holy of men, the most righteous of men, that something needs to happen to you. You must experience a spiritual rebirth before you enter the kingdom of God. I, I mean, this guy's at the pinnacle. He's like the, in the Jewish Senate. And here, here's Jesus telling him, you've got to be reborn. Something from above, a birth from above has to happen to you. And so, and you must be born again. He's telling Nicodemus that there's a supernatural work that has to happen. A rebirth has to happen. And so, what is this kingdom of God that we must be born again to enter? He says, you must be born again to see it. But what else did Jesus say to Nicodemus? After Nicodemus questions Jesus about, what are you talking about being born again? Can a man be born a second time when he's old? What is the second thing Jesus, the second time Jesus responds with a question in verse 5? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now Jesus transitions from sea to being born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the sea, it's kind of like, uh, perhaps like a parent says to their child, well, if you keep acting that way, you're not going to see your next birthday. It means you're not going to get there. This, this Nicodemus should have understood because, you see, the kingdom of God to a Pharisee was a future event. Okay? It was a future event, a, um, uh, a resurrection from life. All, all Israelites believed from Old Testament literature that there was a kingdom of God to be established, but it was to come at the end of the age. So for Nicodemus to be told that he must be born again was a very, very odd thing to him. That he must be born again to see the kingdom of God. He's dumbfounded that Jesus would tell him something must happen for him to enter it. To see it, to enter it, to get to it. it there's something going on now. So what is this kingdom of God? Before we talk about it, it, what the kingdom of God is, let's talk about what it's not. The kingdom of God is not all of us wearing diapers, holding golden harps, sitting on clouds, flapping little wings. That's not the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not some Christless spiritual ascent that we reach. The kingdom of God is not a political ideology, nor is the kingdom of God a utopia that we reach by the betterment of mankind. And while the kingdom of God can be seen, and while the kingdom of God is lived out, certainly with serving others, the kingdom of, hear me, the kingdom of God is not handing out bottles of water. It, it is not feeding the poor or drilling well, wells in Africa. Here's what the kingdom of God is. It is the people of God in the place of God under the rule of God. Okay? Did you hear me? The kingdom of God is the people of God and the place of God. God's with them under the rule of God. This is what the kingdom of God is. And then when we read the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's something very powerful that Christ is communicating. He's saying the kingdom of God is not just a future event. It's, it's a present reality. You see, Nicodemus thought it's something that happens at the, at the end of the age, after 
after it's all done. Then there's a kingdom in which, in which uh, a descendant of David will rule. But it, it's a present reality. You see, the kingdom of God was inaugurated by the person, work, and message of Jesus Christ. So it's a already, it's all, it's, this is what is commonly referred to, the kingdom of God. It's an already, but not yet. You see, it's a journey, but it's also a destination. It's the people of God in the place of God under the rule of God. It's a journey, so we're in it. As born-again believers, we're in it. Jesus says you must be born again to see it, to enter it. But it's also a destination. When Christ returns, he's going to, there'll be a culmination to that kingdom. And so this is what born again is. It is something that happens from above. It is a spiritual rebirth, also referred to as regeneration. There must be a work of the Spirit that happens for you to enter this kingdom, for, for you to become a people of God in the place of God, under the rule of God. And so there's a must. And we're going to see, as we continue to work through that, when God's Spirit breathes life into us, when God's Spirit breathes life into us, we're able to see Christ, our lifted up Savior, and enter this kingdom of God. So Christ proceeds, and he tells Nicodemus that there's a, there's a method, there's a must, you must be born again, a something from above, a, a work of God, a work of the Spirit must happen. But there, there is a method. And what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? Let's pick it up in 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, here Nicodemus, uh, Jesus is he's, he's, he's sort of communicating, continuing to communicate to Nicodemus. He doesn't get it. Okay? The fleshly things, you, you should understand that there is, a, some, there is a spiritual rebirth that's going to happen. If you don't get that, you're not going to get heavenly things. And he says to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, this is amazing. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We must be born again, but there's a method. Jesus is referring to the work of the Holy Spirit, which is known as regeneration. Let me give you two, quote, two explanations that might help you grab onto what regeneration is. Regeneration is the spiritual transformation in a person brought about by the Holy Spirit that brings the individual from being spiritually dead to become a spiritually alive human being. Regeneration is another way of speaking about the new birth or the second birth or being born again. Yet another definition One's inherently sinful nature is profoundly and miraculously changed by regeneration, the new birth, so that the person can respond to God in faith and live in accordance with his will. No one can come alive to God apart from the Spirit's work. You see, the, let's look at what Scripture has to say. Let us look at Titus chapter 3. Verses 3 through 7. It's in the back if you can get there. Titus chapter 3. Here's what Scripture tells us. Verse 3 to 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves 
to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, when He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal glory. Is the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture, uh, we read that regeneration uh, in Deuteronomy is uh, it's a cleanse, it's a circumcision of the heart. Uh, it's a means by which God makes us His. You see, why do we need to be regenerated? We must be born again, uh, so this rebirth must happen. Now God says it's a work of the Spirit. Why do we need to be regenerated to enter the kingdom of God? You see, Scripture tells us in Ephesians 2 that we're dead to sin. We're dead. And dead men cannot respond to God in faith. Dead men don't choose God. We're spiritually dead. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that we're spiritually blind. We're spiritually deaf. We're lost. Like sheep is what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we're slaves to sin and that we're cursed. We're under the curse of the law is what Romans 6 tells us. And Scripture tells us that we're riddled with guilt and shame. So in order to enter the kingdom of God, we must be born from above. To be the people of God in the place of God under the rule of God, God must act. We cannot We cannot act. God must first act on our behalf. And through His Holy Spirit, a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us in verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. We don't have any control over whom God regenerates, whom this new birth, this rebirth, this spiritual rebirth takes place. It's a sovereign work of God by which the Holy Spirit breathes life into man. It is a heart transplant is what happens. We're dead. We cannot control this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now it's very fitting that Jesus likened the Holy Spirit to wind because in both the New Testament and both the Old Testament and both Greek and Hebrew, the Holy Spirit or Spirit is referred to as pneuma, the wind. You see, we, do, we don't control where the Holy Spirit moves and what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit blows, regenerates whom the Holy Spirit wishes. Regeneration is a sovereign work of God. And it is that new birth, it is that heart transplant that allows us to respond to God in faith. So there's a must. We must be born again. There's a method. It's the Holy Spirit. But there's a man. Let's look at what I think is incredibly exciting. Again, we're going to see here that when the Holy Spirit breathes life into us, that regeneration, we're able to see Christ, our lifted up Savior, and enter the kingdom of God. Look with me. uh, Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, 
Are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Again, Nicodemus should have understood that there was a spiritual rebirth that was going to happen. And Jesus says, you don't get this? Third, verse 11, third, third strong message that Jesus says, truly, truly, is like saying, listen to me, I'm telling you the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Jesus is speaking the plural. He says we, he's probably referring to him and his disciples. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You see, Nicodemus and his crowd, their issue wasn't their intellect or their intelligence. It was their unwillingness to hear the testimony that was before them. He says, if I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe heavenly things? He's saying, you're not getting this. How can you understand things that are above you, heavenly things? And then Jesus says, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is saying no one's gone up into heaven and now sits in heaven who can speak of authority, can speak of heavenly things. The only one who can speak of heavenly things is the one who's descended, the Son of Man. And hey, that's me. I can speak of heavenly things. And I'm telling you that something heavenly from above must happen to you. You must be born again. And that thing that has to happen to you in order for you to respond to God in faith is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates you, breathes life into you, transplants that dead heart, and moves you from being dead, from being blind, from being deaf, from being a slave, to being cursed from sin, to being free and able to respond to God by faith. And so the only one who can speak from authority is the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. This is mind-blowing. We see that there is a, a, a must, a method in this man, the Son of Man. And what does verse 14 tell us? And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Would you turn with me, please, to... Exodus, oh rather, I'm sorry, Numbers, the book of Numbers, it's the beginning of the Bible, Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who has bitten When he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. 
And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And this is what Jesus likens himself to. You see, the people, they were complaining. They were disobedient to God. And so he sends his wrath upon them and fiery serpents. They're biting people and people are dying. And they come to Moses and say, we, we sinned against you. We sinned against God. Would you go to God before us? And Moses does it. God says, make a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole and lift it up. And when the people look to that serpent, the poison will be removed from them. My wrath will be taken away from them. And Jesus likens himself to the serpent. Why? I will tell you why. Because Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we have a Savior lifted up on a pole. A Roman pole. And once we are regenerated, once God brings us from spiritual death into spiritual life, we're able to respond to God in faith all because of the work of Christ. He is our lifted up Savior on a pole. A Roman pole. A Roman cross. Galatians 3.13 tells us that He removes the curse of the law from us. He becomes our sin. And when we look to Him, as they look to the serpent, He removes our poison. He removes our sin. And Isaiah says that we're clothed in righteousness. That when God then looks at us, instead of wanting to burn His wrath upon us, to give us His wrath, just like the Israelites were experiencing the wrath of God in the wilderness, that He sees the work of Christ. You see, the reason that we're able to go from spiritual death to spiritual life, that we're able to move from being deaf, blind, dumb, a slave, riddled with guilt and shame, is because we have a lifted up Savior. Jesus lifted up on a pole. Scripture tells us that when we were dead in our trespasses, trespasses in our sin, trespasses in sin, Ephesians 2, 1, that Christ, Christ, God was rich in mercy and He saved us through Christ. This is amazing that Jesus bears our sin. So we must be born again. We must be regenerated to enter the kingdom of God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's made possible by a man. So we see that when the Holy Spirit breathes life into us, we see Christ, a lifted up Savior, our lifted up Savior, and we enter the kingdom of God. What an amazing thing. This morning, some of us are here. Some of us have the same expectations as Nicodemus. We approach, we approach Christ in darkness. Some of you this morning, some of us, people probably in every church and every Sunday, they approach Jesus in darkness. They come in late, they leave early. Or they go to church on Sunday, their friends, their family, and their co-workers have no idea that they go to church. You see, they come before Christ thinking He's simply a teacher. And they acknowledge that He's from God because of what He does. He's a teacher. Their expectations are wrong. Their expectations are like Nicodemus, that because they're holy or they're good enough, that... They're acceptable before God. And God says to the holiest, to the righteous of men, that it isn't you. It's a work of God. His Spirit breathes life into you. And it's made possible through a lifted up Savior who bore our sin, who bore our shame, shameful death to die on a cross. So if your expectations are other than what Scripture says, that you must be born again.
by a work of God so that you're able to respond to God in faith all because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Your expectations are wrong. Would you repent of your sin, confess that Christ is Lord, and trust Him? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank You that uh, while we need to be born again to, to become Your people, Your people, whom You are with in Your place and under Your sovereign rule in order for this to happen, that You did something on our behalf, that Your Holy Spirit brings us from spiritual death into spiritual life so that we're then able to respond to You by faith. We thank You that all this is made possible through Jesus Christ. We thank You for our lifted up Savior. This morning, Lord, if our expectation is other than to see a lifted up Savior, if our expectation is that we're going to enter the kingdom of God by just being good, would you remove that expectation from us? Lord, if there are those in this room who don't know you, I pray, Lord, that through your sovereign grace that you would regenerate them, that you would put a new heart in them, replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, that they might see Christ, their lifted up Savior. We ask these things. In Jesus' name.